In this background, after the initial attack by Jonathan, things go back to stalemate. There are Philistine raiders going throughout the land, plundering people in three different companies. The Philistines have weapons, but the Israelites have no weapons except for Jonathan and his father, Saul. And that's our background where it says the last verse of chapter 13, that the, Philist the garrison of the Philistines was in Mishmash, which is north of Jerusalem, slightly toward the east. And so it's right there in the heart of the promised land. This Philistine garrison just saying like, the people who serve Dagon the fish god are just like over Israel. And it's not good and it's not acceptable for people of faith. That's our background as we pick it up in chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahazah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name one of one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sena. The front of one faced northward opposite Mishmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But... If they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they had hidden. And then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan his armor bearer. And they said, come up to us, and we will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them to the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earthquake, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who's gone out from us. And when they called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and the armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ashijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest, the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. And then Saul and the people who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. 
Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Now, the rest of the chapter is where they go after the guys and wipe them out, and Saul makes the hasty vow, and Jonathan eats the honey, and all that happens. And, but when it's all said and done, they have a great victory, and the summary of Saul's reign with the Philistines is that there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul's life. So this war was going to go on and on and on. Just like in some of our lives, we feel like we've been fighting the same evil forces against us for 60 years since we were born. And the war just keeps going on because it's a spiritual battle. It existed before I was born. It'll exist after I step into eternity. It's an eternal battle that we're a part of when we serve Jesus Christ. And others fought it before us. We enter into the battle and then we leave the battle and it's left behind for the generations behind us that live for Jesus and love Jesus to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight, to finish the race and to keep the faith. It's just the way it is. It's a fierce battle and it never goes away. The spiritual battles that the church must fight in every generation to represent Christ, the freedom of the gospel to be preached, the freedom of the church to gather, the authority of God's word over all matters of the human experience of moral right and wrong and conduct and the freedom to preach that gospel message as the highest law in the universe. It's a battle that the church fights in every generation and we fight on our knees and we fight with the word of God and we fight it by faith. So in this background, we come back to the beginning of the story because before there's a great victory, there has to be great faith. Before the entire army joins the battle for a victory, before those who are working for the Philistines switch sides and serve the people of Israel and join the battle, there just has to be one woman, one man, a couple women, a couple men who will stand up and do what's right, who will show the example of faith, who will take the steps of faith, who will be decisive in their decisions, and they will make things happen. And in every generation, there are very few. There are very few people, truly, who will take adventures in faith, and really go for it and change the world. Change the world so that the God of the universe of a trillion galaxies causes the earth to quake, causes the raiders to quake, causes everyone to quake because he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. But it takes women, it takes men, young and old, who are decisive and firm in their convictions to step out in faith and make things happen and break the stalemate of ambiguity and neutrality with evil. The cross and the empty tomb is never about a tie, and it's certainly not about a surrender. The cross and the empty tomb is absolute victory with Jesus, the right hand of the Father, for everything pertaining to life and godliness that is entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ and the keys of this kingdom here and now, this day, from here to eternity. So we're reminded tonight about how important it is to be willing to take steps of faith, to get out of our comfort zone, to go for it, to make things happen. And in this chapter, what we read, we saw unity between Jonathan and his armor bearer. They're on the same page. We saw the point of contact where they go out in faith and then what they actually were stepping into, they had action. They, they had hand-to-hand combat. They were soldiers. You can train all you want as a Navy SEAL or an elite military person, and your training shows itself when you get into battle, but there comes a point, all that training is proven. You are in hand-to-hand combat. 
Or if you're a fireman and you trained for major fires and all this stuff, and then you're fighting a major fire and you're a hot shot out there in Arizona, there comes a point when this is the real deal and it's what you train for. That's the way life works, right? That's just the way it is. And so they had the point of contact, and then the latter part of the chapter, we see the results. Again, where there's a great victory, everyone joins into the battle, but it was all led by two people. In fact, it says, now it happened one day. That's a very unique phrase. I like that phrase, huh? It just so happened one day. That's how it works. It just happens one day that you give your resignation and you step out in faith to the next thing has for you. It just happens one day when you break off that relationship with that toxic person. It just happens one day when you commit to go to that college and it's going to put in motion the rest of your life. It just happens one day you get in the car and you drive 3,000 miles to plant a church not knowing anybody or what you're doing. It just happens. One day. It happened one day. And for people, for women and men of faith, since we're called to live by faith, we walk by faith, we're saved by faith, we're justified by faith, without faith it's impossible to please God, we, we have days where that happens that one day where the faith is shown and you put in motion your faith and people might go like, wow, this is where it all began. It happened one day that Jonathan and his did this, but it really goes back to the previous chapter. Because the previous chapter is the prequel, when Jonathan went out and started the war in the first place. You need people like that. The world needs, the church needs women and men like this who they just have a, a resume of acts of faith and conviction and courage and character. And they're not afraid of conflict. And they're not afraid to take risks in Jesus' name to love and to serve and advance the kingdom. And the people that are world changers for the gospel in eternity that will be in great glory when we get there, they have a resume of faith. It's what they have. You don't just wake up one day like, oh, this is it. But really, it's like it's baby steps. And like Jesus says, to her who has, more will be given. To him who has, more will be given. And when we show ourselves available and willing to take steps of faith, he gives us more. In fact, we'll look at Peter. If you walk on water, you just might be under tongues of fire later on. And even if you fall and sink in the water, you still walked on water. And you'll learn from that. And when the tongues are fire on you on the day of Pentecost, you're bringing the A game to planet Earth, and nothing will ever be the same. So this is a great story about today is the day. Today is the day of faith. Today is the day that Jonathan wakes up and says, enough is enough. Status quo, my dad's sitting under that pomegranate tree. Today, just like he did yesterday. And by the way, when David comes on the scene to take on Goliath, what is the same thing? Where's Saul? Doing the same thing day after day after day. Nothing. He's indecisive. You know, so many people never make a decision. They think about this. You can walk them through why this is a great plan, why you should go for this. It's a sure bet. And, and they'll agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they have to take the next step, they just, they just can't do it. A lot of businesses fail because of paralysis by analysis. I learned in the 80s when I was surfing Pipeline, when I bring friends from California that see Pipeline for the first time, this wonderful, incredible, treacherous wave, high risk, high reward. Uh, I tell guys, look, you need to look at it and know where you paddle out, what boards you're going to ride, where you're going to sit and who to stay out of their way and what you're going to line up with, this palm tree, that pine tree, whatever. But don't look too long. You look too long, you'll talk yourself out of it. There comes a point where you have to what? you got to paddle out. And once you paddle out, you got to catch a wave within 20 minutes, no matter what. 
Because you serve pipeline, you don't catch a wave in 20 minutes, you're not going to catch a wave at all. You got to get after it. You got to make it happen. You got to make decisions. I'm going to paddle out. And I'm going to get this wave that this boogie boarder didn't get or whatever. I'm going to get this little shoulder over here. But you got to get busy and get going. And we learn this in life. And we don't want to be the people, especially in Jesus' name, who are frozen by unbelief, paralysis by analysis, that we overthink things and we talk ourselves out of them because we can't fully compartmentalize it. My famous statement that I make to all people about to get married is you'll never have enough money to get married. Not particularly profound and certainly true. You'll never have enough money to have children. That's a fact. And you'll never have enough money to take a step of faith for full commitment in ministry. And that's a fact too. So you should just do what me and Jennifer did early on, determining to do all three. Because that's what a life of faith is. If you're waiting for the weather to be right, it's never going to be right. Even Solomon said that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't get up in the morning and say, like, oh, the wind's blowing the wrong way. The clouds are in the wrong spot. I'm not going to do anything. He said, no, get up and cast your bread upon many waters. If you're waiting to sow for the right conditions to sow, you'll never sow. So sow in the good conditions and the bad conditions, but sow because the, amount, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Right. So in this text... Jonathan gets it going and gets it done. Verse 1, he says, he says, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. He's a man with vision, a clear objective, and a firm decision. Let me say that again. He's a man with a clear vision, a clear objective, and a decisiveness to get it done, to be decisive. And he's going to go for it. It happened one day. He just said, enough is enough. This is no longer acceptable. Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that's on the other side. Let's take the initiative. Let's make the decision. Let's put in motion. Let's get action and energy working on this. Let's put feet to our faith and make it happen. And that's what he did. You know, in the last few months, we've seen on TV the Bitcoin commercial or crypto commercial with Matt Damon where it says, fortune favors the brave. The first time I saw that commercial, like, he's looking at Columbus, you know, like in the museum and these things. And it's like, and, and then the moon. I was like, and fortune favors the brave. I'm like, well, what is this? This cryptocurrency. Well, if fortune favors the brave for crypto, how much more for the disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes and Amen. Because I don't always know what's going to happen with real estate, crypto, precious metals, ETFs, or mutual funds. But I do know what's going to always happen with your faith. It will never fail. And God will always honor it. And fortune does favor the brave who look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, and they get out of the boat and they go for it. I wonder, speaking of which, when Peter walked on water, he got out of the boat. I mean, he had to put, he had to, he had to put aside his... The, the limits of his human intellect as he understood them in time, space, and matter. And Jesus is walking on water, and Peter says, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And Peter's, Jesus is like, all right, come to me. And in that moment, he had to let go of time, space, and matter and the limitations that he knew in his world from going to synagogue on the Shabbat. And all he had to do was look unto Jesus, who is the author of his faith, and believe Jesus in the invitation to come walk on the water. That's all he had to do. And that guy got out of the boat. 
And he defied the physics of the universe of trillions of galaxies. Peter, a man just like us, walked on water. He walked on water. He literally walked on water because he's looking into Jesus. And he sank when he took his eyes off Jesus, which is very metaphoric of what happens in our lives. But he walked on water. And I thought about this. What did the other 11 apostles think? You could have humorous this. Judas maybe thought we should charge people to do this, right? Judas was always about the money. It's always about the money. I got a business model here. We all walk on water on the Sea of Galilee. Thomas is like, did he really walk on water? Right? The personalities of the men that Jesus surrounded himself with, they did change the world. So often in life when Jesus calls you, woman of God, and you, man of God, to walk on water, and he's called me to do it many times, metaphorically, and my wife, he's not looking at someone else in the boat. He's looking at you. And you can't say, what about these other 11? Because it doesn't matter. When he's looking at you and says, walk on water, you get out of the boat and you walk on water. I think now more than ever, we need women and men who just simply in Jesus' name will fully go for it. We've been stripped of so many distractions and so many false confidences in the last few years. The path is wide that leads to destruction and it's narrow that leads to life. We know that. Jesus said so. So how much more narrow is the path of those who, in the path of life, are willing to take risk and really go for it? Really, truly go for it. To take risk in your personal life, to take risk with your resources, to take risk in ministry. I was on Instagram today. Our good friend, Corey Kilgus, who's down there in Peru, he's, he's on here. There's my list. Where are you, Corey? Let's see here, Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe, Middle East, Russia, Latin America, Kilgast, Peru, Trujillo, Peru. Corey Kilgast, I met him about eight years ago in Chile. I was at Raul Reese's Bible College there in Santiago. It's really a house. I was with Ricky and Myra. And uh, the, Corey was there with his wife. They didn't have any kids at the time. And he was kind of like, you know, he came from uh, up by Fort Bragg, Northern California, and it's like he was a former drug kind of guy and partier and troublemaker and got saved and was just all in with Jesus. And he was down there and he's telling me, yeah, I, you know, we're going to learn Spanish and we're going to, we want to plant a church in Antofagasta, Chile, because that's one of the bigger cities that doesn't have a Calvary Chapel down there in Chile. And I was like, wow, and I talked to him for about an hour, maybe longer. I really, I really enjoyed this guy. I was like, this guy's a go-getter. Like, this guy's not messing around. He's He's got the hustle on right here. And his wife's like, yeah, we're going to do it. You know, and like, you know, we're going to be in the mission field. We got to home and raise funds and that kind of a thing. You're like, oh, buena suerte. You know, like, good luck. Go for it. Dale, dale. Right? So I didn't see him. And then about a year later, I hear that they're in, uh, in Peru. And they're in this dusty town at the foot of the Andes. Really poor town. I saw pictures of it. Very, very poor. And they were doing ministry. And they did it for a couple years. And I got his little newsletter updates, his little blogs, and I really appreciate it. And then eventually they ended up in Trujillo. And he had a vision to buy this building, to do a Bible college, and do all these things. And he did it. During COVID, Peru had severe lockdowns. They fed people. They, we supported them. We did a lot of stuff. Sam's my witness. We did a lot for Corey during COVID. 
Then Corey got really sick last year. They thought he had cancer. He came back to the States. He went to Louisiana on sabbatical for about three months. Many of you have gotten his newsletter, so you know. And then he went back to Peru. So he's back in Peru. And he posted a photo today with about 25 young people. This guy thought he was dying five months ago when he came back to the States. Okay, like, we know what cancer's like. We know what cancer's like. This guy thought he was dying, and he was so sick he couldn't stay in the mission field. And he came back to Louisiana, and it turns out it wasn't as bad as they thought it was. And he's back, and today, or maybe yesterday, he's with 25 young people graduating the Bible college that he had the vision for years ago when I sat and talked with him, having dinner in Santiago 10 years ago at Raw Reese's house in Santiago. Yes, WG, fortune favors the brave, but I tell you, you must take risk to know those kind of rewards. Because Corey and his wife took a lot of risk to do what they did. It doesn't happen overnight. We have 25, you convinced 25 young people to commit their lives to studying and seeking and being discipled in the Lord. 25 young people to stand there with a certificate saying, we completed this part of our life and we're ready for whatever God has next. Yeah, Matt Damon, fortune does favor the brave, but much more so than cryptocurrency. In Jesus' name, for world changers. Come, let us go over to those sharp rocks. Let's go over to that garrison. Let's go over right there. Let's take the battle right to them. Let's go right to the gates of hell and let them know Jesus is coming. Let's go. Let's get out of our comfort zone. What about your dad? What about my dad? Forget about my dad. What's he doing? The same thing today he did yesterday. He's sitting in a pomegranate tree doing nothing. Strategizing about how he's going to change the world and he can't get off his duff and get anything done. It says he's sitting. Saul sitting doing nothing for the kingdom. And Jonathan's like, hey, you and me, let's go, bro. Let's make it happen. That's who we want to be in Jesus' name. Because when you breathe your last, and that's our life, we're going to feel pretty good about it. It's just, game's over. We're in eternity. I don't, I don't want to be sitting there thinking, I didn't go for it, neither do you. And by the way, in all that I've ever done with Jesus and gone for it, and many testimonies of you in this room, I think of Jennifer and Frank, you guys going to Turkey recently, Buck going to Egypt, his son, Jennifer, Afghanistan on your own. Jennifer, who goes to Afghanistan on their own? I, am still, I still can't wrap my mind around that one. And the pictures from Martania. See, fortune favors the brave in Jesus' name. Because the cross, the empty tomb, the tongues of fire, and the right hand of the Father, they make us brave. Braver than the lion that roars. That's what it's meant to do. We also see in verse 6 the key to Jonathan's whole worldview, because worldview is everything. How you frame things is everything. Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, the great pastor, said this, you either have a little God with big problems or a big God with little problems. And depending on how you see things, that's how you're going to live your life. But the Bible tells us these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's to come. So we know that we serve a big God, and though our problems might seem magnified, in our mind, even Paul said that he was perplexed beyond death with his problems in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Then he just said, There are light afflictions not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's to come. 
It says in verse 6, he said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. It may be, so he says it again, of course, double emphasis. It may be, here's the key phrase, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Hey, it may be, like, it, it may be. Faith is just that. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. If we can control it and manipulate the outcome, it doesn't involve faith. Faith is a journey. Faith is getting off on the plane in Kabul and the people not being there. Faith is the first church service in a hotel in Vermont when it's snowing and it's Easter and there's three people in the building, in the sanctuary. And where are you going to go from here? Faith is a lot of different things. It's it's the Kilgus family moving to Peru. It's raising kids in Peru in a foreign land. It's the Markey family. It's George Markey leaving the farm to go to Ukraine when the Iron Curtain. He went to Russia and he got chased out of Russia. It's a long story. It's not worth going into. But uh, he thought he was going to Russia. And, you know, when you serve the Lord with faith and take steps of faith, you ready? Really important. Life principle. God has a bait and switch. God will do a bait and switch. He'll get you to come on this pretense, but really this is the bigger plan. Amy Carmichael thought she was going to Japan, the great missionary Amy Carmichael. She thought she was going to Japan, but she ended up in India. That's a bait and switch. And that's okay. The main thing is we're moving. Paul thought he was going to Bithynia. Did he go to Bithynia? No. Peter addressed the believers in Bithynia in 1 Peter, but Paul had nothing to do with that church plant. Paul thought he was going to Asia. Did he go to Asia? Not at that time. Where was he going? To Europe. Book of Acts, chapter 16. That's exactly what happened. See, we don't always know how it's going to play out. We just know the Lord's going to be faithful. And as we've built our resume of faith, as we've seen the Lord be faithful in the little things like Jonathan in chapter 13, then we have the faith to go out in chapter 14. We, our faith gets built up in each step of faith we take. It was easier to move to Vermont to plant a church after moving to Virginia to plant a church. When we started this church, it doesn't seem that, it's not really a big deal. To me, like, I don't even think about this kind of stuff, right? Because it's just how I'm wired. I've always taken steps of faith. I've always been decisive. When I saw Jennifer, that's the woman I'm going to marry. Like, I'm just like that. But like, you, you, you take the steps of faith. You, 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 you just go for it. You don't overthink it. You just got, you got to charge it. And when we started this church, uh, I knew God was telling us to no longer be in the sanctuary at Big Calvary. I knew that. When Garrett Beeler told me that Chucky just hired him, I was like, he's the guy that's replacing me in the sanctuary. I didn't tell him at the time. I'm like, I know that. And then when I talked to Brian Broderson, who had brought me on at Big Calvary in 2000, and then Pastor Chuck, I just knew it was time to move on. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what we were doing. Like, you know, if you know the story, we did a practice service at New Hope Gymnastics on the floor where the women do the floor routine. We thought that was going to be our sanctuary. But that's not what God had. He brought us to this building. We thought we were going to do Sunday mornings. The thought never crossed my mind when I stepped back from Big Calvary that we'd be doing Saturday nights for 17 years. But the economic dependence, it was a full-time job at Big Calvary. I had a full-time job with benefits at Big Calvary. And Chuck helped me understand the value of that job, too. And he helped me understand the value of the package, too. 
When I told Chuck to his face, I thought he was cheap. He explained to me he was not. And he showed to me all the benefits I got working at Big Calvary. And, and we hugged each other and he said, good luck. And we always stayed close and we always loved each other. When we started this church, I had no guaranteed pay. I didn't know what to expect the first service. Emily Foster was here, but she was like two, so it doesn't count. But it does count. You were here at the first service. How many of you here tonight were at the very first service in this building? Luke Caldwell, Anthony, you there too? I see a D in hand. Okay, so Luke Caldwell, now Boise Boys and outgrown the famous real estate mogul that he is now in Boise. He was our worship leader. I didn't know what to expect. Like, I showed up that day. I was like, there could be 20 people. There could be 2,000. I have just no idea. We took that step of faith. I made it so Brian and Jeremy could fire me, which most pastors never do. When we established our legal board, I had Brian Broderson step down and Brian Jamison and Jeremy Foster, who were both intern pastors at the time, made up the board and they were a majority that they had the potential to fire me at any given time. But I think it's important that leadership's accountable to one another. As wives submit to husbands, we're told to submit to one another, right, ladies? We know that. And that's how we began this church. I had no guaranteed pay, and Brian and Jeremy could fire me. That's how this church began. A step of faith, 1.8 miles as the seagull flies from Calvary Costa Mesa. Steps of faith are always right around the corner. Every time you come in this building, it's a step of faith. Jeff Anderson up here leading worship is a step of faith. God was faithful to him when he felt called to be big time in Nashville, and it didn't go the way he thought it would go. Did he stop leading worship? We all know, like, his skill level is just unbelievable. Years ago, he was going to be the next guy. He was going to be that guy in Nashville. It didn't work out that way. It didn't stop him from going forward. And here he is serving us tonight. He just keep going for it. Jeff lives by faith. He's working on his CD by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you need to build your resume of faith. Even the disappointments didn't work out the way you thought they would. In Vermont, one of my favorite verses in 1995 is Ephesians 3.20, that God's able to do above and beyond all that you could think or ask for his glory in the church. But according to the power that's working in us, one of my favorite verses. But when I was young in the ministry, like, oh, I can do it all. We can be like, oh, we can be like Pastor Chuck. We can be like Greg Laurie in the Harvest Crusades. You know, like, we can do this. And like, we got super faith. We got mountain moving faith, you know. And then we went to Vermont and our mountain got crushed. It got obliterated. When it says in Isaiah that the mountains will be brought low and the valleys filled, if the mountain's not the mountain of the Lord, he'll crush it. Our pride, our self-confidence, whatever, he'll, he'll break it down. I had all this faith to believe in God for all these Calvary chapels in New England in 1995. I didn't realize it really was for God to just crush me and teach me the value of one soul. Oh, and the dishwasher. A whole year of my life to see one person say the sinner's prayer. 14 months of my life. Gave up a house, security, benefits, everything. To work for 440 an hour, to have a 32-year-old dishwasher say he wanted to receive Christ. The highlight of 14 months of my life in Burlington, Vermont. And the most valuable lesson you could teach a man or a woman. The value of every soul on planet Earth. The unborn, the elderly, the severely handicapped, and everything in between. And I learned that lesson. So that was a venture in faith. We drove a 20-foot rider truck up there in the middle of the night. 
Start a whole new world. Jim O'Connor and his wife, I didn't ever do it until recently, they ate Bisquick for a week straight. That's all they ate in the motel. They ate Bisquick for seven straight days. It's the only food they had. Bisquick. He never told me that because he wanted between him and the Lord, like George Mueller. If you know the story of George Mueller, everything was between him and the Lord. You need your adventures of faith. Oh, now more than ever, worship generation body of Christ. We need to look at a situation. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. We need to seek, knock, and ask. We need to knock that door. We need to bang on that door now more than ever and say, God, speak and show me what to do. What is the purpose of my life? What is the bigger purpose? What's the value of my last 10 years, my last 15 years, or whatever it's going to be if I live to see this many years, or if I got one year? What is it? Remember when I did the Olympic coaching, and they said, you need to reverse engineer 2028, the Olympics in Los Angeles, how you're going to have a U.S. surfer on the podium with a gold medal, come backwards 10 years, and tell us how you're going to do that, and then commit your life to it. And that's when I just realized, do I want to spend 10 years going for the gold of men, or am I going to run for the crown that's imperishable? I was like, I don't have time for this. If I've got 10 years left, I'm not going to spend it trying to get a gold medal on a Sunday in Los Angeles in 2028. I'm going to try and advance the kingdom of God for eternal treasures from now till I'm done. We need to know what really matters and what doesn't. And the kingdom is the only thing that matters. It may be that the Lord will work for us because he knew God does work for him. He learned that growing up. Jonathan, Jonathan is a great man of faith. David had his 30 mighty men, but before he ever had a mighty man, he had a best friend. His name is Jonathan. And Jonathan was a man of faith. As iron sharpens iron, Jonathan and David were as close as two men can be in friendship. God gives us friends, and he gives us friendship. And they were so close. And Jonathan is the first mighty man of valor that David truly knew. And he's not in David's list of 30. But when Jonathan was killed, there's a whole chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, is David's song dedicated to Saul and Jonathan, which is really dedicated to Jonathan, because Saul was a coward. But he still gave him props. How the mighty have fallen. How the bow was strong in the hand of Jonathan. And he didn't fly from the, flee from the battle. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. Nothing restrains the Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? We just sang it. Nothing restrains the Lord. He can do whatever he wants to do. The only thing that restrains the Lord, and it's a good restraint, is his character. Because God is light and is no darkness at all. So when some things are perverse, jaded, or evil, that, that would never be the Lord. We're told it's impossible for God to lie. He can't. His nature, we have a fallen nature. We can lie. We can cheat. We can steal. We can lust. We can be vulgar. God's none of those things. And aren't you glad he isn't? <laughs> isn't it nice? Like you follow a politician, they're going to be all those things. For who can know the heart? That's really wicked. You follow Jesus? Everything beautiful. Lovely, true, praiseworthy, honorable, good report. These are the things of Jesus. You might have a bad day with Jesus, but you'll never have a bad Jesus. He's the same yesterday and forever, and he's holy. And he must be regarded as holy by those who come to him, too. No, the Lord can save by many or few. Let's just go for it. Let's see what he'll do. Fortune favors the brave. And who should be braver than the child of God? Let's just see what he'll do. You know, if you make time to seek the Lord, and we make time to hear the Lord, and to really wait on the Lord, who, like, he's going to guide us in new adventures. 
So many people who confess Christ as Lord, they're not doing what God has for them because they don't make time to hear from the Lord. And when they did hear from the Lord, they go, that couldn't be the Lord. They paralyzed by analysis. They talked themselves out of it. And that's what we tell young people all the time. If you're going to go, go for it. Because if you go now, you'll probably go next year too. Jonathan chapter 13, Jonathan chapter 14. That's why you should go. Buck went to, as a teenager, went to Egypt during Christmas break to do ministry. It's far more likely he'll go somewhere else when he's 17, 18, 20, 24, 28, 36, 40, 50. Build the resume of faith. And you know, resumes are funny because sometimes a resume, you know, I've seen Susan Branch's resume, ladies, and it is impressive. I mean, she was the CEO of Roxy, CEO of Billabong Women, you know. That's what we know her for, like, those are million-dollar corporations. You know, they, make, they made a lot of people a lot of money, and Susan Branch made a lot of people a lot of money. But the interesting thing about her resume is not the last chapter when she was CEO of Women's Billabong down here at 117 Waterworks Way in Irvine. It was the early part of her resume, her early jobs, because she shared it with Leah one time, our daughter Leah. So I saw it. And it's like, she did this for this company. She did this thing with that company. She just, the, you don't just become the CEO of Roxy by not building your resume. And you don't become a great woman of God by not building your resume of faith. You see? So, but some resumes, the greatness is there, and then there's nothing. There's just nothing for years. Like, it just stopped. So if your resume of faith has stopped, in Jesus' name, get it going again, right? Maybe go back and revisit some things that you think maybe God had for you to do that you didn't do and see if there's still something he wants to do. The secret, which really isn't a secret, or the key to Jonathan's confidence is he served Jehovah. God of the burning bush, God of Mount Sinai, God of the cross, God of the empty tomb, God of tongues of fire, God of the new heaven and new earth. He served Jehovah and he knew Jehovah. And even when he died in battle valiantly by his dad's side, he died as a man of faith. And there's a song dedicated to him in our Bible to remind us this guy often lost in the hall of fame of faith was a great man of faith. And a closing thought to all this is in, that today is a day that you're going to be decisive and you're going to take the initiative and you're going to take the steps of faith. And the confidence of our faith is the resume we've built and we're serving Jehovah. He's a big God, small problems. He's got our back. He's able to do abundantly above all that we could think or ask. He's going to do that. Is make sure you travel with the right people. Because in this story, Jonathan knew who to leave behind. His dad who's sitting, and the rest of the army that didn't have weapons. Because in the previous chapter, we're told they didn't have weapons. You can't go to war if you don't have faith and you're sitting around with no weapons. But our weapons are mighty in God for the tearing down of strongholds. And our weapons are the arm of God. And our greatest weapon is the shield of faith with the sword of the Spirit. You can't bring people who are in unbelief and unwilling without weapons on your journey of faith. And that's most people you know. And you can't let them speak unbelief into your head. You can't let them speak fear into your life. 
Listen, all the steps of faith I ever took, I'm going to walk you through it. I told a teacher in eighth grade I'm going to be a pro surfer. She said, Joe Brand, you'll never be a pro surfer. No one's ever going to pay you to surf. Hmm. I'm in the Hall of Fame down here. And I did get paid to surf. I signed the richest contract in pro surfing in 1981 when I was 13th in the world. I told her, I'm going to win the Pipe Masters. Like, no one's going to win. You're never going to. And I won the Pipe Masters. I'm going to start a pro surf tour. No one can start a pro surf tour in America. No one's going to watch. I did 17 events in 1985 with the PSAA. I started a pro surf tour. That tour went on for 20 years, known as the Bud Tour. But people said it will never work. When we went to Virginia to start the church, more people told me what to fear than what to expect when I went to Virginia, Jennifer and I. In fact, the last church service, someone walked to me like they said, you're out of your mind in the parking lot. We went to Vermont. People definitely thought we were out of our mind. Why would you leave a fruitful church to go to the middle of nowhere and do this? When I didn't plant a church in the late 90s, when I came back, people thought I was crazy. But I went to Amber Gonzalez's church with my kids, served with Bob Bodsford, and went out and did all kinds of outreach for three years, waiting on the Lord, and won a world title for 35 and over. When I said I'm going to win a world title for over 35, I was like, you haven't surfed in 10 years. And I won a world title for 35 and over. When, someone's, when I said Jeremy Camp's amazing, he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's bigger than the Calvary movement, everyone said... Some of the people I trusted him was like, he's just average. I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> I think we know how that played out. For everything that's ever been perceived as being great or substantial in my life, there's been way more people saying it can't happen, will never happen than those that said it could. It's a small select crew that's your posse when you're on the road of faith and ventures in faith. It's a small group. So pick them carefully and make sure they build you up as women who iron sharpen iron, as men whose iron sharpens iron. Surround yourself with people who speak life, speak the promises, speak the blessings, like John Corson coming down my street in Tanana in, in the early 2000s going by Joy Brand's house and Lord bless Joey and pronouncing blessings over my home. Be that person and surround yourself with those people. Be your blessing to their circle and be, let them be your blessing to yours. There's very few people that are armor bearers who go, yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's do it. It's in your heart, let's do it. But you need those people. When you're taking great steps of faith, you need to surround yourself with people who also are great women and men of faith and have the vision and hear the voice of the Lord and they're willing to go for it with you. Those are the people you need. Jesus changed the world with a very small group of people. And it's always been a small group of people. And you want to invite the masses to go to heaven with you? We all do. But in the great steps of faith, there are so few that see the vision. And surround yourself with men and women who do. Because we can't do it alone. We all need armor bearers. And by all means, leave at home your dad, who sits under a pomegranate tree doing nothing except talking religion and never living by faith. Because that's Saul, right? If you're here Tuesday night, Saul talked the talk. He never walked the walk. He says the Lord in so many sentences. It was all religion of his mind. A self-serving God for a self-serving man. You gotta leave that guy behind. How about just a little bit later when David comes on the scene? I'll defeat the giant. The Lord who delivered me from the bear and the lion, he'll deliver me from this Philistine. I got this. And so I was like, hey, put my armor on. You got to keep those guys out of your camp. You got to keep them out of your circle of influence. Leave them at home. 
Or if they got to go with you because they're the boss, they're the king, just make sure they're not on the playing field where things are really getting decided. Pray that God just keep them away. It's better to ask forgiveness and permission when you're Jonathan in this text, right? Oh, Dad, can I go fight the Philistines? Well, why would you do that? We don't have any weapons. Don't even talk to your dad in this situation, Jonathan. Just go do it. Make the decision. Pull the trigger. Let it rip. Bring your resume. Get after it and bring the right people with you and get it done. That's what this story tells us. So on that day, it happened one day, and I hope it happens even more in my life in the future, and I hope it happens more in your life in the future. When you wake up on that day and you're going to do it, may God give you the faith. May he give you the confidence from his faithfulness in the past, and may he surround you with the people that are going to build you up and help you in that journey, and may you have the wisdom to know which ones are not, and they're not on the roster, in Jesus' name. Amen?